0: our barrels of fun. This is section
1: 422. Welcome to the section 422 podcast, episode number 64. It is Monday, June 29th. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we're going to examine the recently released roster for the upcoming season. The Brewers picking 45 players out of a possible 60. And obviously, like everything in this 2020 season, that roster is subject to change. But, Will, we've had a little bit of time to look at some of the surprises. The Brewers, I think, mostly did what most people expected with their initial group. But were there any names who were omitted that were a surprise to you? no not at all actually that's the first thing that you look for at least for me at least
0: was did anybody decide not to play too that was the big one for me and the answer was clearly no everybody's still there that you would want there Christian Jelich, there Brendan Woodruff is there Josh Hader everybody go down the list up and down Corey Canable there so you just everybody's where they're supposed to be in that sense the only thing that Kind of struck me a little bit as not so much of a surprise, but it's definitely worth noting was there was a f- there were a few guys who were optioned to minor league camp at toward like the end of spring training or at least what became the end of spring training right before the stoppage, and three of those guys were not part of this group of forty five, and that list includes Corey Ray, uh, Trey Supak and angel perdomo who last name there was a guy who i've said a few times on this podcast how much i he impressed me during spring training i i thought he and i still do think he's going to be a pretty good pretty good reliever one of these days um if not more than that um but i I feel like he's he's a guy that we will probably see eventually and that's a key thing to keep in mind with this list is that it's not exactly set in stone here like they have the group of 45 here and David Stearns did make a point to say that this would be the initial list and this initial list would include guys we expect to either make the active roster which will be 30 at the start of the season or at least really make a run for it and provide some depth early on and so that tells you that these were the guys that they were all seriously considered at the very least um but that leaves you fifteen extra spots, and and like you mentioned, you could play around with those. There's that's there's a lot of flexibility there. Not to mention there there will be another group that will just go straight to uh, the Timber Rattlers uh, stadium uh, just for developmental purposes, and so that would that will include a group of prospects, and that's why those guys were not included, just because that doesn't. We don't anticipate that happening for another few weeks. All these guys on the, all these the forty five guys, all of them are headed to Miller Park. Miller Park this week, and so that's the discrepancy there, and that's
1: why those names were not announced with this group. Yeah, and I think as far as you know, bringing extra players in who you don't really see as having a short term path to the big leagues, it doesn't make sense given that we're in a pandemic. You don't want to have players just. Coming to the facility and, and working out because you want to keep that group as, as tight as possible. I think Corey Ray's omission from the initial roster makes sense in that context. I think he seems like a lot to me to be added to the group going to Appleton. I know 2019 was a very disappointing year for him. Injuries were a big part of, of what went wrong. I mean, he only played 53 games at AAA. Hit 188 with a 261 OBP, a 329 slugging percentage. I mean, just a a massive step back for a guy that really put a lot of things together in 2018. Corey Ray at Double A in 2018, while the batting average was low at 239, hit a walk rate of 10%, so the OBP was pretty good at 323. He hit 27 homers and stole 37 bases at Biloxi. So I still have some optimism for him in the long term. I don't know if he's necessarily... An everyday guy in the short term. I think we have to kind of see what 2020 and possibly even the beginning of 2021 brings to get a better sense for how he might fit with the organization. And I think the other thing that's challenging is that Corey Ray, as a guy that the Brewers drafted fifth overall back in 2016, is always going to have those heightened expectations because of how early he was selected. You know, if you looked at him and took 2019 with the appropriate grain of salt with the injuries, it'd be easier to see where he fits currently in the organization's plans. But I think people kind of round up just because of that pedigree. Yeah, he's
0: also, what, David Stern's his first draft pick with the Brewers. And so that's going to be remembered all the time. He's the first one. So there there will be that. But yeah, he did take a step back, no question. And some of it had to do with injuries, but he also got home run happy. He'd be, he, he will admit that. He has admitted that. And so it wasn't really just the injuries because – he wasn't really hitting on all cylinders before some of those before some of those big injuries that proved to be a little bit catastrophic for him too in regards to keeping everything in check. But even despite all that, he has his problem is balls and strikes, and that's still the case. And that's been the case for a while. Even when he was going really well with Biloxi, he still had that issue to an extent. Um, the numbers were better, but they still weren't like phenomenal as far as pitch recognition goes and uh, you're just not going to be able to get get away with that as much as you progress, of course, clearly. And so this was supposed to be a big year for Corey Ray, one way or the other. And so you kind of feel for him in that sense because this was such a huge year, 2020. At least it should have been for his for his development. Don't know where which direction it would have gone. And I'm with you with the idea that I'm not completely sold on him necessarily being an everyday player, but I'm I'm pretty optimistic that he'll he'll be. A, a decent big leaguer, um, some fourth outfielder, maybe that type of type of thing at worst. Uh, so I don't know. I still have some high hopes for him because he has those tantalizing tools. So you just hate to see the circumstances be what they are right now. Uh, but yeah, he was one of those guys. In addition to uh, to Supac and, and Perdomo, who out of that trio, that was the trio that I thought I probably would have penciled in as part as part of the group. But they they were on they're on the outside right now.
1: I think we've talked about versatility a lot ever since uh, you came on the beat for the Brewers. I mean, this is something that David Stearns has really kind of emphasized as he's put this roster together. You start looking at some of the names. I mean, the Brewers have six outfielders listed in that group of 45. Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, Sale Garcia, Ben Gamel, and Keon Broxton. Broxton, the only one of those six Uh, who is actually a non-roster invitee. There are nine players in total with that designation. So whether those players actually make the opening day roster at the end of July still remains to be seen. It's a 30-man active roster when the season begins. Two weeks after the season begins, that number drops to 28. And four weeks after the season begins, that number drops down to 26. So... I think the expectation is that the Brewers will carry a few extra pitchers when the season begins and probably pare down the bullpen a little bit from there. Uh, But you you look at the six guys who are listed as outfielders. They're not the only guys who can play in the outfield from the players who are hanging around. Jace Peterson, listed as an infielder, can play all over. He's also among the non-roster invitees. Mark Mathias saw some time out there during spring training. Brock Holt can play out there as well. So, Once you start looking at some of the infielders who can also play in the outfield, it's easy to see where, you know, a path for Corey Ray just wasn't there. So I'm still curious to see what they do with him and a few of those other young players as they put that Appleton reserve group together in the near future. Uh, Thinking about this team with 30 players when the season begins, you know, I think that does create opportunities probably for either Shelby Miller or... Jake Faria or Justin Grimm, who we talked to four or five episodes ago. I mean, I I think some of those guys were almost certainly on the outside looking in with just a 26-man roster from the jump with the original design for the season. Now they get a chance to potentially prove themselves, even if it's in low leverage roles for those first couple of weeks.
0: No question. They're going to compete for those final spots. I'm not sure the likelihood of it, even though... Craig Council said that he wants about 16 or 17 pitchers, which is a lot. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a good amount. Um, there's no rule about it having to be even anymore. Um, so there's like not, you know, you could go a little bit over. And so they're looking to do that. And they can because of that versatility that we always talk about where you have a bunch of guys in the infield. It's so deep and you have so many moving parts to it that they could be almost interchangeable. And that saves you a spot or two at least. And so you could easily look at the roster and add it up, and you could easily come with those 16 or 17 names without even getting to a Shelby Miller or Grimm or, or a couple of those other guys that you mentioned that are like a Jake Freya that are sort of on that other tier. Because I look at it and I say, well, this is great news for a Devin Williams or JP Eyes and guys like that that had a good you know a good argument or a decent argument to make to make the roster regardless but if you're talking to me about a 30-man roster for the first couple of weeks and 16 or 17 of those are going to be pitchers i i feel like williams and fire as and that they stand to kind of gain the most
1: as far as their chances go yeah i would agree with that i mean i think players who uh, don't have opt-outs uh are going to be interesting here as well and i think you know whether teams and whether the brewers can uh, work it out with someone like logan morrison to stick around i think that becomes more likely with the universal dh this season that's something we've touched on on a few episodes as well it would still be kind of an open competition for him to even push his way into the lineup on a regular basis but having another another nice left-handed power bat on the bench would be something that would give the brewers one more weapon that they really didn't have in the previous iterations of the roster
0: yeah they they don't have that um at all he's the only guy that can provide that left-handed punch uh with with power and and he's a he's a proven bad also i mean he's done it before at this level and so you you need they have a guy like that too in ryan healy who's who's also an interesting name to throw out there who's part of this 45 man group as well um just a, a guy who's Proven to be a, he could be a quality big league player. I mean, he's he's done it before. He's hit twenty five home runs or so a couple of seasons, and so they got options. Um, I, I like the roster for for this. I like the roster for the DH. I like the roster for the seventeen pitchers. Um, you know, there there isn't with, with Logan Morrison. That's that's the one where with thirty, you could make the argument for him and and the Ben Gamble both making it. I could see that. Still, um, I would kind of lean more toward a Logan Morrison if I had to make the, the choice of them just because of that, that left-handed power. Um, but you could go up and down the list, and, and there are hard decisions to be made still, even though it's it's going to be 30 guys at first. And then after that, it gets only really harder. And you know we haven't even discussed the idea of hey maybe maybe you need an extra catcher for that matter maybe you want to take three and so then what what does that do for your numbers so there there are so there are so many layers to it um, when you get into the nitty gritty of exactly how many spots they actually have available for thirty because the way I look at it there's still really only two or three up for grabs
1: yeah and there will be uh, some taxi squads going with. Teams On the road, three players, one of which has to be a catcher. So that might be the way most teams approach that third catcher spot. I would, if I had to predict it right now anyway, I think Jacob Nottingham probably is that guy, but I don't think that's necessarily locked in at this point either. Uh, So it's just going to be a weird season for a whole variety of different reasons, but just seeing a roster put out of any kind, even knowing there's going to be a few weeks of competition for those last few spots, it gets me excited. It makes me believe that there might actually be some baseball coming up later on this summer. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny that they call
0: it summer camp though. That kind of makes me feel like I'm covering like American Legion baseball in like South and <laughs> South Jersey or something. But aside from that, I'm excited. It's like you mentioned it at the start late, late June and, it's like so hard to still grasp that July July now means the start of baseball for 2020 hopefully um i'm still in that mode where it's believe it until i see it even though i'm the one covering the team and not just not just watching it as as a fan or anything like that and so even for me i'm still like in that wait and see mode but this makes it feel a little bit more tangible where it's in motion you know we're we're getting some names we're we're getting some clarity on a little bit of a little bit of these things that we feel like we've discussed for so long at this point um so i'm starting to feel good uh the brewers made uh the, the announcement that july 4th will be their first full organized workout at miller park so happy july 4th there that should be fun and we've already seen guys post on social media whether it's uh Jed Jerko or Mark Mathias or whoever else, uh, Josh Lindblom posting on Twitter uh, that they're headed that they've been headed to uh, Miller Park that they're in Milwaukee to get things going and and that's just fun to see. It, it does make it feel like okay, hopefully let's do this. Hopefully let's try it. and you just hope you just pray that it
1: works out <laughs> for safety reasons. And you know, one thing I've I've really missed about baseball and I've, I've talked about that on, on previous episodes too is you know, when I'm out. In the summer, when I'm out walking the dog in the evening or when I go to the park for a little while on a Wednesday afternoon and there's a day game on, I'm listening to baseball. I'm listening to Bob Uecker and Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle, right? I'm I'm always listening to games if I'm not watching them. And one thing I've been wondering about is, you know, will Bob Uecker call games this year? The Brewers confirmed that he will be calling home games in person this season. So... Um, yeah, that, that constant, that thing we look for as a, a baseball fan in the state of Wisconsin, that voice, that'll be there. And and Euker talked about it. He had met with Mark Atanasio and the team's health staff and and talked about whether or not he should return. Of course he's he's high risk for COVID nineteen. Um, but he's he's gonna be there. And that's just one more thing that gets me excited for this upcoming season. Yeah, no question. I think uh,
0: Brewers, uh, like senior VP of communications, Tyler Barnes put it best when he put out the statement that, you know, in a season where so much is so different, you know, you're just that one constant for, for fans. And that will... That'll be something to just hear, right? And to and to kind of see him do it. Um, there won't be any fans. It'll be it'll still be weird. He's not going to be able to kind of feel off of that. It, it'll it'll be weird in that sense a little bit, but the voice will remain the same, and that's important. That's so important. And for him to still be able to hopefully do those thirty home games, that'd be really cool. Because um, obviously his workload has. Scaled back anyway, uh, over the years, of course, with the limited travel and whatnot, so I don't think anybody was quite expecting him to do more than more than 30, but to have him do 30 is phenomenal um, for a guy who, like you said, is in that group where it's concerning, and so they're going to do all they can uh, to make sure that he's healthy and then that he's okay throughout this.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that's pretty obvious when you listen to you speak is... He know I mean, he's 86 years old. He he knows that there aren't that many seasons left. It's one of those things that we we hate to think about as Brewers fans because he's such a huge part of the experience. This will be his 50th year calling games, which is just uh, amazing. It'll be the weirdest year of the 50 that he's been a part of, like hands down, not even close. And I'm just glad he's going to be a part of it. Of course, uh, Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle, who I mentioned before. They're going to cover the road games. So um, it's going to be at least familiar sounding, even if the the ways we consume baseball are different. Not being able to go to the ballpark ourselves uh, uh, from a fan perspective, we different. I mean, it's going to be strange, I think, covering live baseball games in an empty stadium. You know, it's just one of those things that when you're covering a sport, the fans, the energy in the building uh, is a big part of, of what just makes the story a story a lot of times and that's going to be something that takes some getting used to yeah that reminds me of when i asked uh ba brian anderson about what
0: are you going to say <laughs> like when, when it's the first game like what like what what have you been thinking because i know i'd be thinking about it and he of course hasn't or at least he hadn't when i had asked him a, at this point a couple of months ago as hard as that is for me to believe as i as i say that out loud Uh, but it was a couple of months ago when I asked, maybe it has changed, but that was sort of what he was trying to relay to me was that you can't really fake it. You have to, even if there is no crowd, you're going to have to bring about like what you're feeling, what the mood is around everything the build up toward it. Otherwise it's artificial. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't really like the, the crowd noise, like the, uh, artificial crowd noise, because I feel like that could kind of ruin the experience for me. Um, I'd rather just nothing and just kind of try to get used to that. That's a whole nother conversation. But point is, is that I'm eager just to see what those first broadcasts are going to be like, because um, I, I wouldn't know what to say exactly as far as bringing that crowd or introducing that the, the fans, the audience to that type of
1: game. Yeah, I I really hope they're not piping in crowd noise in, in baseball games. I've watched some Premier League broadcasts the last couple of weeks where that's been in there. It's not like it's distracting, but I just don't think it's necessary. I think you could mic up some things on the field a little bit differently and kind of change the production that way. Maybe bring the fans a little bit closer to the field in the process. Kind of like take out the—offset the missing— fan noise and add something a little bit different, you know, from a production standpoint, I'm hoping this is one of those years where uh, the game can try a few things out and, and maybe, you know, we'll, we'll find some, some ways to, to watch and listen to games that are, are new and exciting that we can actually have in future years too. Yes.
0: Be creative. Major league baseball, give us something different, experiment a little bit for once and let us have some fun with this. I think there, there are so many different avenues you could go down from a creative standpoint to, make to enhance this experience because it's so different like why not capitalize on it and try to make something of it instead of just letting it kind of um you know part of it i like it that that it may be organic but it it could be stale And baseball let's face it it's not a game that lends itself to a whole lot of excitement pitch to pitch so you're gonna need something and so um Cautiously optimistic—that's been the phrase I've used a bunch the past few months—and so I'll leave it at that uh, as far as my expectations go for the broadcast. But Brewers are in good. Brewers fans are in good hands, regardless with, with that group that they have on radio and TV. So there, there are worse things. Uh, there are more things to be uh, concerned about than than that situation from a Brewers fans standpoint.
1: Yeah, I always wonder as someone who consumes nearly every game if my my take is a biased one when it comes to grading the Brewers TV and and radio crews, but I think when you see pieces like the one we had on the Athletic a couple of weeks ago and you get input from people who are fans of different teams but they kind of come in here and there and and just, you know, watch and listen to everybody, when those scores come out as high as they do, you know that always makes you feel like you've kind of got a, a gift, right? Like you, you want a good crew, and the Brewers have several good crews uh, working on those games. So it's just one of those things. Will it just makes me feel like baseball is just around the corner, knowing that uh, Uke's going to be there calling games this year. And it was one of the things that that brought me a, a little bit of joy recently. It's been uh, small victories as we try and move ahead. And, and like you, I'm I'm holding my breath. I'm hoping that we, you know we get through summer camp as they're calling it safely i'm hoping that uh, this isn't just a a horrible idea that goes wrong i mean there's certainly reasons to believe there are some major risks being taken by trying to play baseball here in 2020 but hopefully the safety protocols in place uh, do what they're supposed to do players team personnel people around the game can stay uh, safe and healthy and, and we can actually get baseball back later this summer so that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash 422. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. And If you have a question for a future episode, hit us up on Twitter. We're happy to take those. If you're enjoying this podcast you're listening on a platform like Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating and review, please take a few moments to do that. We greatly appreciate it. It helps people find this show for the very first time. Four Wheel Sam and I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section Four Twenty Two.